So I have a very simple introduction to Genesis 39. Sex. Introduction over. You're saying more? Yep. Why? Because the Bible's honest about people. That's why. Really honest about people. So for a moment, I want to try to remind us of what we've been studying for months now. We're in the life of Jacob. His chapter is closing and a new one is opening. So when you think about Jacob, is Jacob a good guy or a bad guy? Yes, right? That's the only answer. Yeah, you saw ups and downs with him. He's a complicated character. So he has 12 sons. These 12 sons are going to be the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're really important people, okay? Are they good guys or bad guys? Let's just go through them. So the oldest, his name is Reuben. Now Reuben would be the, the guy that would take the mantle from Jacob. According to culture, he's the oldest. He would get a double inheritance. There's all this honor for being the oldest. So Reuben, how did Reuben do? I don't know if you remember, Reuben slept with one of Jacob's wives, his dad's wives, right? Which is wrong on so many levels. That it's wives, plural, and that Reuben does this. Like, you're just like, oh, great. So, all right, he's out. Number one guy's out. The next two sons are Levi and Simeon. How'd they do? Remember, chapter 34, their sister, their full sister, gets raped. Name is Dinah. Their dad does nothing about it. They're ticked. So they go to the city of the rapist and they make a agreement with them that says, if you guys will all get circumcised, then we'll kind of pass this thing over. We can do business. We can have marriages. We'll, we'll get along if you guys all get circumcised. So the men all got circumcised. And it says when they were sore, <laughs> which I can imagine would happen, Levi and Simeon went in there and massacred all of them. So they turn into mass murderers. Now we're out, number two and number three. Okay, now we come to the fourth son. His name is Judah. How's Judah? Were you here last week? Raise your hand. I'm sorry. Right? Stephen did a fantastic job in a very, very difficult chapter. Like, ah, right? So Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law, uh, apparently goes to prostitutes all the time. He is a sword man, right? So now we're out four, right? So boom, 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 boom. Like, oh no. It's Jerry Springer meets Jersey Shores. That's what it feels like. And what Genesis was doing from chapter three on is giving you and I a hope of a redeemer. It's the promise of Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It's why Eve names her first son Cain, which is literally, I've got the man. This is the one. Now, was he the one? No, he killed his brother, right? So it's just been like, what? Bad after bad after bad after bad. So now we come to this character named Joseph. 
Now, how's Joseph been up to this point? Good guy or bad guy? Now, very good. Yes. People get mad at me for this. I'm okay if you get mad at me for this. Prove me wrong. I think Joseph, at this point in the story, has minimally borderline personality disorder. And it's because his dad. So remember what's happened so far. Jacob has decided Joseph is his favorite son. The first time we meet Joseph doing anything, it's chapter 37, and it says this, he brought back an evil report about his 10 older brothers. What is it saying about Joseph? He's a tattletale, right? He's a tattletale. And then when he comes home, it says that Jacob loved him more than all of his other sons. And so he gave him this fancy coat. Spoils him, right? I don't know what an Armani or a Gucci coat, right? It's like the best. And he wears it all the time. He's that guy. 104 degrees out, bro, why are you still wearing your coat? Because it's Armani, man. Yeah, right? He is that guy. He's arrogant. He has this dream. Everybody knows what it means. His brothers figured out really quick where they all kind of make these bundles of wheat and then all their brother's wheat bows down to Joseph's as his stands straight up. Instead of treasuring this in his heart and just saying, God, I don't know what this means and maybe I should keep this to myself, guess what he does? The same brothers that don't like him, that he's tattled on, that there's kind of this animosity on, that he wears the Armani coat when they don't. They got the and one coat from Walmart, right? And very different right there. So they're like, what are you saying? We're gonna bow down to you? And it says they hated him. Hated him. And if that's not enough, next night he has another dream. He's gonna treasure it in his heart again. But he's got borderline personality disorder. He doesn't realize how damaging his words are. That's a sociopath. Do you know that? A sociopath is someone that does not know and they keep saying things that hurt people repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. That's what Joseph is. So at breakfast, brothers hate him. At breakfast, he's like, hey, last night I had another dream. And I can just imagine his brothers going, oh, great. He goes, ah, everyone bowed down to me. 10 brothers and mom and dad, you bowed down to me. Can you imagine that? Right? The arrogance of that. First time you see Jacob get mad at Joseph. J Jacob rebuked Joseph. Bro, what? Are, are you kidding me? Really? You're going to say that at breakfast? Come on. He rebukes him. And it says that Joseph, after he said that, after he gets rebuked by his dad, it says his dad treasured these things in his heart. He's like, oh, oh no, right? What have I created in this guy? Have I been too soft on him? So by chapter 37, you're almost prepped for failure number five. Reuben's failed, Levi's failed, Simeon's failed, Judas failed. We're getting failure number five. Joseph is just gonna be another failure. What happens to him in chapter 37? Something interrupts the pattern that was going to destroy him. What happens? They thrown into a pit. They contemplate killing him. They decide instead to sell him into slavery. And he goes into Egypt. 
It's the worst thing that you could imagine happening to Joseph, but it's the best thing that you can imagine happening to Joseph, right? This favorite son, this tattletale, this arrogant, this guy that repeats hurtful things over and over to people, like borderline, like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, he's put in a pit and sold into slavery. Here's why. Joseph needed the pit and Joseph needed Egypt. If he was left in that same environment, we're going to have failure number five. If he's left there, he's going to be a spoiled, arrogant, pathological jerk. That's what he's going to grow up into. The pit saves Joseph from becoming our fifth failure. That's what it actually does. And that when Joseph says, Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God has turned to good to the saving of many lives. I think Joseph would say, yeah, I was one of those lives. It saved me from growing crooked. It saved me. So in the midst of like really, ah, devastating, devastating, devastating news, chapter 39 is a glimmer of hope. Finally, someone with some character. Finally, someone that does things right. Finally, and it happens in the most brutal and hardest of times. Have you ever realized in your own life that you need a pit? that you need an Egypt, that when it's 80 degrees and your kids are healthy and happy and you just lost 15 pounds and you look great, there's not a lot of movement in your soul and character. But it's like James says, the half-brother of Jesus, count it all joy when you have tribulations because the trying of your faith produces patience and let patience have her perfect work that you might be complete, lacking nothing. The pit was good. Joseph had some huge character flaws and missing things. It's the pit, it's slavery that begins to round out Joseph. So this is pit stop, Genesis 39, verse one. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian. And he had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Yahweh was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of Yahweh was in all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Joseph comes in, bought by this guy named Potiphar. Joseph works his tail off so much that Potiphar just starts giving him more and more and more responsibility. And Potiphar probably had a ton of responsibility, right? He's a officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. He's in charge of the secret service. 
He's a high level dude with lots of responsibilities, but he just starts to figure out, I can give it all to this guy. So at the end of it, verse six says this, the only care he had, what should I eat for breakfast? What should I eat for lunch? What should I eat for dinner? What's my midnight snack? That's it. That was his to-do list, right? How good is that? Now think for a second about Joseph. Everything that would have identified Joseph is gone. His coat that said to everybody that saw him, brothers, sisters, slaves, servants, other people, this guy is special. It's gone. He's been drugged across the desert, probably had the snot kicked out of him, right? He looks weird. Because if you've ever seen old pictures or old stuff or old whatever it is from Egypt, they would shave their entire bodies, shave their heads, shave their eyebrows, maybe a little beard, but their entire bodies would be shaved. Joseph would come in looking like a hairy ape, like, ooh, right? It's like Duck Dynasty goes to New York City. Like they don't fit. He is sticking out like a sore thumb. He is stripped of everything. He's not the favorite of anyone anymore. He's got no class anymore. He's got no one behind him. He's got no family. He's got, he doesn't know the language, right? He speaks Hebrew. They speak Egyptian. And he's standing on an auction block ready to be sold to somebody. Everything that identified him is stripped. What would happen to you if that was true? If whatever identified you, whatever made you you was stripped away, your job, your reputation, your family, your spouse, your money, whatever, everything stripped away. What would happen to you? What would you hold on to? Four times in this chapter, it will say, God was with him. Four times. The only thing Joseph has is his faith. And it is his faith refuels and rebuilds him. That his identity goes to a new man from the favorite spoiled son of Jacob to now a hardworking, responsible, trustworthy man. And it happens as a slave in Potiphar's house. 17-year-old to probably 20 in these six verses. What would have happened to me at 20? or even 16, if I was taken and sold? Would it expose metal in me like it does in Joseph? Or would I break? Like this is a, this is a becoming a phenomenal human. And Potiphar, the owner, the word officer, it's a kind way to translate this word and you can translate it that way. Most often it's translated eunuch. You guys know what a eunuch is? If you don't, ask Chad. He'll tell you. So a eunuch is somebody that has their manhood taken away. So it could very well be that because of Potiphar's position in Pharaoh's house, he's around, captain of the guard, he's hanging out there. What Pharaohs would do very often to men that were around their queen a lot? Guess what they would do? Yeah, you're not going to reproduce. You're not going to mess with my wife. And so they would often be made a eunuch. So this word could be translated officer or it could be eunuch. 
it may explain why Potiphar's wife acts the way she acts. Could explain that. Now, a little conjecture there, but this word easily, a semantic range, very often it is translated eunuch, right? So powerful dude, but maybe he's not all there. Here's the good news. Verse two says this, that God was with Joseph. And because he was with Joseph, God caused everything in Potiphar's house to prosper. It says it multiple times. His house was blessed because of Joseph. Now, why does that matter? This is Genesis 12, one through three coming to pass. One of the most important promises in the Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, leave this place, move to a land I'm going to show you, and I'm gonna bless those that bless you. I'm gonna curse those that curse you. And through you, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. And what you see is time after time, Abraham's in a land, it gets blessed. Isaac goes to a land, it gets blessed. Jacob goes to a land, and guess what? Even his bad father-in-law, he gets blessed. And now we get one more example of it. Joseph, the seed of Abraham, the receiver of this covenant, because he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's house is blessed. And Potiphar, his name literally means pagan priest. The pagan priest unbelieving nations, if you would. He gets blessed in his money, in his home, in everything because of the life of Joseph and the promise God made to him. How good is that? I pray that Grant's past is blessed because I'm in it. Pagans, Potiphar's, bad people, the wrong people, I pray that the city of Grant's past is blessed because we're in it. That we are all right now the conduits of blessing to the nations because God is with us, right? That's my prayer. That they know Yahweh is with them, right? That's what Potiphar learned. Man, Yahweh is with this guy. And because Yahweh is with this guy, I'm being blessed. The entire book of Ezekiel, if you read it, God does all this stuff, and there's one reason, so that the nations will know that I am God. Man, I pray that Grant's Pass is blessed by Edgewater and blessed by the body of Christ so that Grant's Pass knows there's a God. His name is Jesus. And if you want to be blessed, make sure he's with you, right? Brilliant. So that was the good news. Now the bad news, verse 11 excuse me, verse seven. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. 
because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, notice how the pace slows way down. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. That word laugh, is that what's actually happening right here? Sometimes Bible translators just shy away from what's really happening, right? So this is the same word, if you remember when Isaac lied about Rebekah, his wife, and Rebekah was taken into Pharaoh's harem. And it says, one day Pharaoh was looking out the window and he saw Isaac and Rebekah out in the field laughing. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you're not brother and sister. You guys are married. Is that because they're out there laughing? <laughs> like Isaac told her a really good joke? No, there's a sexual connotation to this word. It's, he didn't come to laugh, <laughs> right? That's not what's happening here. She's saying he came in to force himself on me. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his, ma her, ma his master came home. Boy, I think Joseph at this point hates coats, right? They get me in trouble all the time. Like, ah, I'm not wearing a coat anymore. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant that you have brought among us. What is she doing right there? Yeah, husband and wives, you know exactly what's happening right here. This is all your fault. <laughs> the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. That's not what he was doing. <laughs> but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Bummer. So Joseph, verse six says, was handsome in form and appearance. This is the only time in the Hebrew Bible that a man is described as handsome in form and appearance. He's the only guy. He's a good looking dude. 20 year old. Handsome in form which means this, he had muscles. He had abs, not an ab, right? The dude was good to look at. Muscly, handsome dude. He'd have a lot of followers on Instagram or TikTok, right? He's gonna be killing it. He's an influencer. He's that level of guy. So what is Mrs. Potiphar? What is she? We'd call her a cougar, right? She's a cougar. She's after him. 
And in verse seven, when it says, lie with me, again, that's translators being nice. Literally, it's sex now. It's demanding. She's in charge. She's the owner. She's going to tell him what he has to do. Sex now. Now, did Joseph have every built-in excuse in this moment? Didn't he? I'm a slave. She's the master. What choice do I have? Or, and I've been working hard here. I run this place. I deserve it. Or, job promotion. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or, everyone's doing it. And in Egypt, everyone was doing it. Right? Hey, I'm just, man, this, this water we swim in. Or Mr. Potiphar does not treat her well. You know, I would treat her so much better. He had all the excuses built in. What does Joseph do? No. No. Gives three reasons. Number one, you're not mine. Sex outside of the confines of marriage is stealing from someone else's future spouse. No, I won't do it. It doesn't work. You and I were never designed to have sex with a body. We were designed to make love to a soul. It's what the Old Testament calls dode, the intermingling of souls. That's when it's beautiful and brilliant and life-giving. Proverbs says, a man that has sex outside of marriage is not wise. He destroys his own soul. Something happens outside of marriage when it's not that dode, when it's not two souls coming together that actually is destructive to the human psyche. So he says, no, no. Number two, you're his. You belong to your husband the sacredness of marriage. I will not come in between you guys. I know Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created a male and female. For this cause, a man will leave his mother and father. The two shall be joined and become one flesh. And Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Joseph is, I will not get in between this marriage is sacred. And then thirdly, he says, it's a sin against God. I don't do this wickedness. It's sinning against God. Joseph had his loves ordered. He loved God so much. His cup ran over so much that there wasn't room for lust and those other things to get in. I loved God too much to do this. No way. He had his loves ordered. Do you know how important that is? That Satan attacks us when our cups run empty, that's when he can get us. When our loves are out of order, when we're not coming to him, drinking deeply of him, having our souls satisfied in him, that's when he attacks us. Joseph's cup runs over and he goes, no way, I'm not doing this. I'm full. I'm satisfied. Like an appetite. It's just like an appetite. So I have an appetite. Had it for a long time. I've mentioned it before. I love ice cream. It's generational. My mom loved ice cream. She'd have a 
bowl of ice cream at night. And man, I love a bowl of ice cream at night. It cries out to me every evening, come lie with me. That's what it says. <laughs> but here's what I found. If I will fill up on something good, I can say no to that wickedness, right? If I fill up on something good, like I have no appetite for ice cream if I've eaten a chocolate bar. Zero. I'm full. This is what Joseph has found. My cup overflows. I don't have any room for you. He had ordered love, and he could say no. I love that. Now, Mrs. Potiphar gives us the Genesis anatomy of sin. She saw it, she spoke about it, and then she took hold of it. Does that pattern ring any bells? What is the very first sin? Eve saw the forbidden fruit. She had a conversation with Satan about it. She started to talk about it. And then she grabbed the hold of that forbidden fruit. That is the anatomy of sin you see repeated over and over in scripture, right? It says she saw him. He was handsome. She cast her eyes on him. She says, lie with me. She badgered him. Conversation after conversation after conversation. And finally, she just reaches out and she grabs a hold of the forbidden fruit. I will take this. It is mine. It's why scripture says you start with your eye. It's why Job called the most righteous man on earth. And Job 30 verse one says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maiden. He knew it. Genesis 3, that's how this whole thing starts. So I'm nipping it in the bud. That's why the psalmist, Psalm 101 verse 3 says this, I have made a covenant to put no wicked thing before me. You want a great screensaver on your smartphone? Psalm 101 verse 3. Start with that. Like begin there, put it on your TV, put it on your laptop, start there because that's how it begins, right? And then she starts to talk about it. Starts to read up on it. Starts to have conversations with other people about it. Have you ever thought about doing this? Have you, have you ever thought about having sex with your slave? Hey, what, what do you think about that? Oh, you have? Oh, what do you think about it, right? She starts to have a conversation about it. And then it just gets in her and takes hold of her and it owns her. Like ultimately, Who's enslaved in this story? She is. She is so enslaved to her sin now, she can't get away from it. It is her master. She has a master. It's called sin now. It's what Cain is warned about. Sin is crouching at your door. And if you don't deal with it, it will master you. Well, this sin has mastered her. And she becomes a shadow. This high society top lady. The Bible just casts her away now. We're done with her. You got enslaved to this thing. We're done with you. You're gone. You're just a shadow. Empires rise and fall because of sexual sin. Read about the Romans. Read about the Greeks. Read about the Chinese. What about us today? Oh man, they rise and fall because of this one right here. It's scary. It's hard to go a week without reading something about some scandal, right? IHOP, International House of Prayer. Decades, they've had a 24-hour-a-day 
prayer thing going. Decade after decade, I think it's three plus decades, 24-hour prayer. You know, it just got stopped a week ago. You know why? The founding pastor, sexual sin. Who wins in that one? The enemy. One of the coolest things just got disrupted because of sexual sin. Sad to me. There's a guy named D.A. Carson. He writes commentaries. Uh, he wasn't a professor at Western when I was at Western, but he would roll through and like do like a class or do like something every once in a while. Great guy. And he, he was talking about when he was in seminary, he had this professor, he said, was just the worst teacher. Like very smart guy, unable to get the words out right. And there's a lot of people like that. You're very smart, but the ability to actually communicate isn't there. But he says, there's one thing I'll never forget. He said, today I'm gonna teach you guys how to deal with women when they come into your office. He said, I'm gonna give you the 10 commandments of what you do. So everyone's like, okay. He says, when a woman comes into your office and sits down, commandment number one, stay behind your desk. When the woman starts to tell you about her story and it's emotional and she seems like she needs comfort. Commandment number two, stay behind your desk. <laughs> and then when the woman starts to cry and tears are coming down and you think maybe you should like go out there and, and give her uh, a hug. Commandment number three, stay behind your desk. <laughs> he just went all the way through. That was pretty classic. You better have, men, you better have some commandments. Stay behind your desk because Satan's coming for you. And we live in a culture right now where he mainstreams it. Stay behind your desk. So here's what's going to happen to Joseph. Joseph is going to do everything right. He's already being transferred. I think verses one through six is about three years. So from 17 to 20, with the direction he was going, he was growing crooked, growing crazy, growing spoiled. Man, he is growing straight now. And does the right thing. I will not sleep with you. And guess what's going to happen to him? He's going to be thrown in prison. Anyone? Anyone do the right thing at work? And get fired? Anyone do the right thing in a relationship? It backfires. Anyone do the right thing and call out something and then you get blamed for it and you end up on the chopping block? Yep. Happens all the time. Because hard isn't bad. And good or an easy doesn't mean it's good. Right? I think we need to become the kind of people that integrity is its own reward. I did what was right. Nothing else matters. I don't care how it turns out. I did what was right. That integrity is more important than anything else, than what people think. Paul said this, I have a clear conscience. I go to bed at night, Paul would say, man, I put my head on the pillow and I'm running through the stupid things I've done. I go to sleep. I go to sleep because I have a clear conscience. I sleep well. You'll never regret doing what's right. Like I've never sat in my bed at night and thought, man, you know, I could have really done evil right there. Man, I wish I would have done evil right there. Man, I could have really done that. I could have really got away. I've never done that. But oh my goodness. How many times have you sat in your bed at night and regretted something stupid you did, right? 
I think you and I have to become the kind of people that integrity and doing what is right is the reward. If you're in here right now and you're thinking about having sex outside of marriage, don't. Don't do it. I talk with men all the time. This is what I tell them. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up living in an apartment. And you're sitting in your apartment at night and you are going to wonder, who is tucking my kids in right now? Who is kissing my wife right now? You're going to come to me and say, hey, can you talk to my ex-wife and give her, give, give me some time with my kids? She won't let me see my kids anymore. That's what you're going to do. You're going to sit in a room with me or one of the pastors and we're going to have that discussion. Don't do it. It will not end well. Don't do it. Every time there's sexual sin in the Bible, every narrative is it ends terribly. Joseph does the right thing. It looks like it's going to end terribly, but it won't. Here it goes. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all that the prisoners were doing. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. The prison guard gives Joseph the keys to the prison. What would happen if that was to happen today? Right? All the matches would be on fire. The place would be burned to the ground. But Joseph has become this from spoiled favorite son, arrogant to this hardworking, steadfast, faithful, reliable man. It's brilliant. And so Potiphar's wife tells him the story. And it says, his anger was kindled. At who? The Bible is silent. Who's he angry at? It may have been he was angry at his wife. Right? Because if his anger was kindled at Joseph, Joseph would be dead. That's what he could do. It was capital. You try to rape a high-level official in Pharaoh's court. Man, your head's coming off. So who was he angry with? I think he was angry at his wife. I think he knew, yeah, you're the one. And now I'm losing my best employee, the best employee I've ever had. I'm losing God's favor on my household, but I got to choose you because you're my wife. I think he was mad at his wife. And here's why I think that. Because he puts him in, it tells us very slowly, in fact. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He goes in the nice prison 
There was dungeons and disgusting prisons. He's put in the sweet, awesome prison, right? Like where white-collar crimes go. I was reading about Bernie Madoff. Remember him? Bernie Madoff, he made off with $65 billion in a pyramid scheme, right? So he, he does that, is sent to this cush, cush federal prison. And I was reading the story about him. It says that he had cornered the market in prison on hot chocolate. Somehow he had bought all the hot chocolate and he was selling it for more than he paid for it and making money in prison. And he's like the hero of all the prisoners. They're like, bro, I only made off with 6 million, 65 billion, how'd you do it, right? Like he's got it cush. That's Joseph. He's in the nice one. I think Potiphar actually runs it. He's captain of the guard. And Potiphar is hoping, I hope to get him back. This dude was such a good employee. He's so good. Maybe down the road, I can get him back. Okay? Brilliant chapter. The pit transforms him. And I love verse 21. Right? Falsely accused meant, right? From favorite son to slave to falsely accused of rape to prison. But, and you can circle verse 21, but Yahweh. In your Bible. Every time you see that, circle it. And it says this, this guy that had grown up crooked that was gonna just be just the fifth failure that we're gonna see in this book. This guy, because of this pit and slavery, something changes. And it says, God's steadfast love was with him. It's the Hebrew word hased. It's actually very hard for anyone to translate it. You'll see grace, mercy, you'll see a steadfast love, you'll see kindness, you'll see covenant love, all these ways, because we don't even know how to translate it. Here's how I translate it. It's this. It's God is going to be exactly what you need, no matter who you are or what's happened. That's what Hased is. It's a covenanting God saying, I'm going to be exactly what you need, Joseph. Even though you grew crooked because you had a crazy dad and crazy brothers, you kind of got a little arrogant. I'm going to be exactly what you need. Even though you got sold into slavery and even though you got unfairly accused of rape and even though now you're in prison, I'm going to be exactly what you need no matter any of those situations. I'm going to take this and remove it in my direction. I love that. We don't need easy lives. We don't need the absence of hardship. What we need is the presence of God. But God was with him. Hard is not bad especially when God's with you. Paul would say this at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 3.16. Everyone abandoned me. The all-star of the New Testament. Everyone abandoned me. But the Lord stood with me and I was strengthened. Corey Ten Boom watched her parents slaughtered, watched her sister slowly die in a Nazi concentration camp until she passed away. And this is what she wrote. You don't know Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Brilliant. We don't need easy lives. Uh-uh. We need a God who's going to be there for us no matter the circumstances. And a God who can take what the enemy wants to use for evil and turn it for good. That's, that's the turn of the Joseph story. That's the brilliance. If you're in a pit right now, if it feels like you're in Egypt, 
If you feel like 10 brothers are against you, and if God is with you, he'll take those circumstances and use them to bring a metal and use them to bring a character and fortitude that you would dream of having because that that's what God does. So Jesus, today I pray for us. I pray for those that might feel and resonate with the Joseph story. Life's been unfair. Accusations that were untrue. People that have unfairly accused them and gossip and slander started. I pray that today all of us would realize your chesed, your covenanting love, that you will be exactly what we need, no matter what we are or where we are, because you're the God of all chesed. And may we trust you in that. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.